Thanks, Roger, for uh, leading us through that announcements and sharing time. Thanks, Macy, for sharing a bit of your experience uh, at Pursuit. I just didn't want to curb any creativity. That was why I left such uh, broad instructions with you. But we appreciate hearing your personal story uh, for what God has, has done in your life, especially through that program. Uh, just before we jump into the sermon this morning, I wanted to, to let everyone know, you know, my family and I, we had a, a good time away this last week. Uh, we were at the lake during the week, so if the sermon feels a little distractedly put together, now you'll know why. Uh, we had a wonderful time at the cottage, a, f- a friend's cottage that we have gone to for many years out in Caliper Lake, just south of Nestor Falls, uh, which ended up being quite the place to be on Sunday night when we got there. We left after church on Sunday, and we had a, a wonderful evening out at the lake, and then we went to sleep, and then around midnight, we could hear some thunder, and it ended up being quite a big storm. <laughs> Our older two kids woke up, and we we, we watched the storm over the lake, which was, which was pretty fascinating in its own right. And then we went to sleep. The power had gone out. We said, oh, well, maybe the power will come on tomorrow. When we got up, we realized that uh, it was an intense storm, so intense that, that many trees, probably hundreds of trees in that area had blown over down onto the ground. In fact, we found out that not only were we not going to get power while we were there, but we couldn't actually leave the cabin either because all of the, the drive to get into the cabin was just littered with trees that had been blown over and fallen down. It ended up being one of the most intense storms that that region has ever had. We knew the power wouldn't happen anytime soon because the power lines were down completely and the power pole right outside our cottage's driveway was down on the ground. It had cracked and was, the transformer was lying on the ground. So I thought, hey, we're probably not getting power anytime soon. But it turns out that the, the storm was so intense that they went into the provincial campground, which is right next door, and they evacuated everyone in the middle of the night. There were numerous vehicles and trailers that had been crushed by falling trees. Nobody was hurt, which we were very, very grateful for, but it really changed the complexion of our time out there. We spent it, uh, we would consider it glamping. <laughs> we had the cottage and a lot of the conveniences of it, but we didn't have running water or electricity or refrigeration. So uh, we did sort out a way to keep all the food cool. We had the path cleared for us uh, later on. Uh, on Monday, and so we could actually get out and get some supplies if we needed to. And in the end, we had a very memorable and wonderful experience away, uh, though we will remember that storm and the after effects for a long time. We had a great time, and we're back here now and happy to not have missed any time with you as our church family as well. We're going to focus now on what we're going to learn together today, and that's going to be in part with our Fear Factor sermon series. Now, I spent six years in the public school system in Texas, and every single day at the beginning of the day in Texas, we would stand up and we would be told to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Every single day. I have it memorized still. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America uh, and for the republic on which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It's a great, great pledge, I guess. There's only one problem. I wasn't American. I was still Canadian. In fact, I loved being Canadian. Being a Canadian in Texas became a big part of my identity to carve out my niche as a, as a student there. So I, I loved when they would try to pick on my, my accent, you know, because I sounded a bit different then. They would say, oh, you say sorry. And I had the easiest comeback ever. I said, how is it spelled? And they're like, sorry for making fun of you. <laughs> you know, of course, of course we say sorry. That's how the word is spelled. And so I loved having an accent and defending it. And, and even when I was part of the drum corps and marching band, I went through these initiations and everyone gets a nickname. And my nickname was Canadian Bacon. And I thought that was a great nickname. In fact, I still think it's a good nickname. If anyone out there is still looking for a gamer handle or anything, feel free to take Canadian Bacon. I won't, I won't mind at all. 
So I, I, I wasn't wanting to pledge allegiance to the United States flag because I was not American. So I had this conundrum, what do I do? So this is what I decided. I decided that I would stand out of respect because I didn't want to make a big scene. It was nothing against other people pledging allegiance. And I, I just never spoke the words out loud. I listened to them. I memorized them. But I never pledged allegiance because that was not my flag. That's not where my allegiances lay. When we think about this in terms of fear, I would say this, that many of our fears are tied to competing allegiances in our life. I'm not talking about the competing allegiances of, of earthly nations like the United States or Canada. I'm talking about kingdom allegiances, something that Jesus himself talks about in Matthew chapter 6. Last week, we read this passage, and now we're, we skipped over a part of it. And we're going to circle back now to Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you, you can open them up to that passage, and that's going to be where we'll camp out this morning. Jesus has been talking about people worrying about getting the necessities of life. And then if we pick up in verse 31, he summarizes this and then continues on. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I just encourage you to bow your heads. We'll pray together one more time. Heavenly Father, we have seen your promise as we learned last week that you do care for us and that you do know what we need and that you do want to provide. You have promised to do so. All that we need in this life. God, we also know that you have this deep call of allegiance on our life, that we should be those who seek after your kingdom. God, today I pray that we would be humble and honest enough with ourselves to truly ask the questions, what do my fears show about where my allegiance truly lies? Not to give the, the answer we know that you want, the Sunday school answer, but to be honest with ourselves to know where our allegiance lies. God, we pray this in your name, and we commit this time to you. Amen. So Jesus is giving, really, a, a question here. He talks about two different groups of people, and both groups of people are seeking after something. The Gentiles are seeking after these things, meaning what will we eat or what will we wear? They are seeking after the necessities of this world. And then he says, but not for you, my followers. I want more for you. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. Two groups that are seeking after something. Now, what we understand that word seek to mean will be key. It will be vital for us to understand this passage properly. Often, if I were to say that to you that I'm seeking for something, you may think of it like hide and go seek, where somebody is hiding and you will now go seek them. You want to find them. You want to uncover something that is hidden. But that is not the type of seeking that Jesus is referring to. He is much more so talking about pursuing something, striving for something, seeking after that with a wholehearted focus and desire. During my time at the cottage with my friend Neil, he was um, talking about his son-in-law, who was at the very end of the process of becoming a doctor. And right now, his uh, son-in-law and his daughter and their family are, are moving out to the West Coast for one year to finish the last part of this training. And then he said, it has been 13 years from beginning to end from the very first time of taking a class to the very last assignment before you become a doctor all on your own. Thirteen years 
That's a long time to pursue something, to strive for something. That is exactly the type of single-minded focus and drive that Jesus is calling us to do when it comes to seeking after the kingdom. 13 years, I mean, I can't go 13 minutes watching a show on Netflix without taking the phone out of my pocket. How do we have this type of focus and priority and drive? But that is the nature of what it means to seek after these kingdoms. And yes, Jesus goes on to say, who is pursuing these things? There are really two options in this passage, two kingdoms that we could pursue in this way. The first is the kingdom of earth. This kingdom is physical. It's tangible. We can see it and touch it and feel it. We, we know it's here because it is our everyday experience. And yet, this kingdom is also temporary. The thing with the kingdom of earth is that it demands our attention because it is right here. It is right now. It is how we are living our life. This is our, our realm of physical experience. And so, yes, of course it demands our attention. Of course, you know, it is easy to, to pursue the things of this world for that reason. Yet ultimately, as Jesus knows and teaches us, the kingdom of this world will leave us unsatisfied, unfulfilled. Truly, this world can never give us what we ultimately need. We may feel fulfilled for a time, but then we will be let down. We may feel like we are happy for a time, but then something will go wrong. This world is broken. It's not in, in the way that it was ultimately and originally designed to be. And we are broken people, and we will never be able to have others fulfill or fulfill for others what they need relationally. And not only that, even if we could live this hypothetical life in which everything went right and we had all that we need, that life would eventually end. Because the kingdom is here today and gone tomorrow if we're seeking after the kingdom of earth. Jesus looks around and he sees, as I would see today, as we all would know, that many people are still striving after this kingdom. In our passage, Jesus refers to these people as Gentiles. Not referring here to any religious or cultural distinction. This is not the normal Jew or Gentile religious uh, qualifications. No, this group Gentiles is a bit more broad. It could be also considered, uh, he, some translations would say pagans or nations. It's a broad term for a group of people. And in our passage, it refers to everyone who does not have this knowledge of the Heavenly Father, who does not have this trusting relationship with the Heavenly Father. Because, of course, if they don't know the Heavenly Father, then they're going to have fear and worry and anxiety over the things of this world because they need them. If this world is all that there is, then we need these things. We need to survive, and it's up to us to go get them. If you do not have knowledge of this Heavenly Father, you have no one other than yourself to provide for what you need. And fear and worry and anxiety are a natural result of living a life this way. That's why those who do not know God find themselves pursuing with single-minded devotion, the things of this world. That is one group of people. Jesus says, but, but you, those who do have knowledge of the Heavenly Father, those who are my followers ought not to live this way. Instead of seeking the kingdom of earth, you ought to seek the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's a much different type of kingdom. It's not physical. It's spiritual. It's not as tangible. It's more intangible. We don't experience it the same way. We can't feel it or touch it or view it in the same way that we can things of this world. And yet it is eternal. 
You see, church, it's often easy to downplay the kingdom of heaven because it isn't always right in front of us. It isn't always demanding our attention or our experience the same way that the things of this world can. But, and this is really important, spiritual does not mean less real. We experience it differently. We see and feel it differently. But not for a second should you doubt the fact that spiritual means anything less real. In fact, as we continue to unpack what Jesus teaches, we'll find that spiritual goes to the very depth and the core of what is most real about us. This is a kingdom that is different, but it is even more real than the kingdom of earth. This kingdom of heaven will fulfill us in in a way that God has designed and will ultimately never leave us lacking. Because the things of this world may satisfy us physically and they may for a time satisfy us emotionally, but there is a spiritual need that is deep within our souls that only the kingdom of God can truly fulfill. Not only that, but where the kingdom of earth has a best before date, where it will one day cease to be the kingdom of heaven, will continue on. It is here. It has been established by Jesus Christ. It is among us here today. And this kingdom will continue forever and ever and ever. And so with this in mind, it becomes clear which kingdom we ought to be striving for, we ought to pursue. And perhaps you're there. Perhaps you're saying, okay, pastor, you've convinced me. More to the point, Jesus has convinced me. It seems to be obvious that it would be more worth my while to pursue the kingdom of God than the kingdom of earth. But then here's a question. How can I actually strive for the kingdom of God? What does that look like? How do I live my life in this way? Well, as always, Jesus does not leave us lacking this information either. I want to draw our attention earlier to Matthew chapter 6. We're we're staying within the same context. This will still be the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, this is going to be even in the same line of thought as Jesus is moving and transitioning from one topic to another. And it's actually in the Lord's Prayer that we start to unpack what it looks like to seek the kingdom of God. I'm going to read for you Matthew 6, picking up in verse 7. Jesus is speaking to the same group of people here. And he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Wait a minute, does does that sound familiar? Did we not just read, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. This is the same line of thought, just in the matter of prayer. Let's continue on in verse 8, or sorry, verse 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in this prayer that many of us have committed to memory, that many of us have have, have responded in in church services by doing, we've, we've been given the key to what it means to strive after the kingdom. Your kingdom come. How does, and he reiterates it. He explains it in the next line. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's as simple as this. Striving for the kingdom of God is to find and do the will of God. Let me say it one more time. Striving for the kingdom of God is to find and do the will of God. We need not overcomplicate this. I'm not going to put up passages and passages of of what the kingdom is like and what it's not like. We can explore that for, for, for years if we wanted to. But simply, to have the kingdom come 
is to have God's will be done more perfectly and more completely in this world, just as it is completely and perfectly done in heaven. And so when we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, then righteousness becomes our ability to live rightly, to do the will of God, and and to point other people to him. So now we have two important follow-up questions. If we can define it, define seeking after the kingdom of God as finding his will and doing his will, then, then, okay, what is the will of God? How can I accomplish it? How do I find it? Well, as cliche as it may seem, we need to spend time in God's word to discover his character. In both the passages that we read, Matthew 6, 31 to 33, and Matthew 6, 7 to 10, the Gentiles had a problem. The problem wasn't that they didn't believe in God. The problem wasn't that they didn't want to serve God. They were trying to pray to him or they were trying to, uh, you know, get the necessities of life from him. The problem that the Gentiles had was that they did not properly understand who God is. When it came to prayer, they, they thought that they had to have all of these verbose words and beautiful words and they had to use a, t- a ton of words in order to grab God's attention. And Jesus says, God's not like that. He doesn't require those things from you. And when it came to pursuing the necessities of life, God says you don't even need to ask God. He already knows what you need. He wants to provide for you. He wants to hear you. You don't have to convince him. And so if we want to walk not as the Gentiles would walk, but as those who trust in the Heavenly Father, we need to know what he is like, what he desires, what his character is. And the way that we find that is through his revealed word. We have access at our fingertips to story upon story, to truth upon truth about the nature of who God is and what his will is, which is is to show other people what he is like, to live in accordance with his character. So to find and to do the will of God requires us to understand who he is in relationship and also through his word. And so, of course, not only do we read, we also pray to God, we communicate to Him, we ask Him to form us more and more like Him so that we can more perfectly carry out His will as we live our daily lives. To put it another way, we need to live like Jesus and point other people to Him. How good is it that we have all of these teachings and all of these stories about who Jesus is and how He related to people and how He forgave people and loved people and healed people and reached out to people and died for people. Live like Jesus and point other people to him. And when you do that, you are truly seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And not only can this have a huge impact in your own life and your own victory over fear, but this can truly allow a little bit more of heaven to come down to earth. Amen. But there is a relationship between our allegiances and our fear. And Jesus has drawn a line in the sand. He has said, you can either seek after or be allegiant to the kingdom of earth, or you can seek after and have your allegiance with the kingdom of God. Which one will it be? And our fears will be formed by that. In fact, I would say that fear can be found in having mixed allegiances. It's an idea that I got from Edward Welch in his book I've been quoting along the way. And these were two, especially this quote I'm going to give you right now. This is one of the most convicting things I read. It was a mirror right in front of me, and I did not like what I, was looking, what I was looking at. Edward Welch says, If you are looking to plumb the depths of worry, you can find it in your mixed allegiances. You trust God for some things, but not others. You trust him for heaven, but not for earth. 
I was like, oh man, that made me really uncomfortable to hear. Another uh, quote that, that adds to this, he says, worry is a sign that we are trying to have it both ways with one foot in the kingdom of the world and one foot in the kingdom of heaven. Worry and fear are a result of mixed allegiances, a result of not having this single-minded pursuit of striving for the kingdom of God. If we do not do that, we will certainly be afraid. We trust Jesus for heaven, but not for things of this world. I don't know, church, but I'm trying to admit to you that when I read that, I was convicted because that was true in my life. And at times, it's still true in my life. And that is the way, and this is now the battleground of fear. is not about uh, just dealing with that fear. It's now about dealing with allegiances, of, of ensuring that in my life, I can have that type of devotion to the kingdom of God, that I can place my trust in Jesus, not just to go to heaven when I die, but for every aspect of my life. And if we have these mixed allegiances, it might sound a bit like this in your, home, in your own head, in your own mind. It might say, well, Sure, Jesus secures my spot in heaven. I know where I'm going when I die, but, but I provide for my family. It's, it's my job. It's my hard work. It's my financial decisions. Like I'm the one looking after this family. But Jesus has me when I die. Or perhaps, you know, Jesus has me when I die, but up until that point, it's the medical system that I'm trusting in to keep me healthy. They're the ones that are going to prolong my life. How good is it that we have all of these technological advances? You know, it's, that's where I place my trust. But when that's over, then Jesus has me from there. Or sure, I know that Jesus died for me and I'm going to heaven to be with him, but, but there's so many dangers in this life and it's going to be up to my own good decision-making to, to be cautious, to avoid these dangers, to not be put in those certain situations. I'm going to look after myself. Or I'm going to make sure that my kids never put, are put into to danger, into harm's way. All of these are just indicators that we have our, foot, our feet and one foot in the kingdom of God, one foot in the kingdom of the world. It's a mixed allegiance, and it's going to tear us up inside because it will lead to a life full of fear. Can we trust in Jesus for our financial stability, for our health, and for our safety? And if we're willing to trust in him for our eternal lives, why would we trust in, not trust in him with all these lesser things? It does not make sense, but I find it's an easy habit to get into. So clearly in Matthew 6, Jesus is calling all of us to quit straddling the fence. We don't have it both ways. He says, don't seek after the world. Seek after the kingdom of God first. Where is your allegiance? Sometimes we need to test where our allegiance might lie. This is where I was encouraging all of us in our prayer beforehand. We need to be willing to be honest with ourselves. Because if you just kind of gloss over this and say, well, no, I know I'm supposed to be allegiant to the kingdom of heaven, therefore, yeah, I am, and we're not going to get anywhere. We need to test our allegiance truly, honestly. So if you're somebody who's worried about money, the test for you is this. If you're worried about your finances, do you tithe at church? Do you give to missionaries? Do you support a sponsored child? Are you generous? Because all of those examples are ways in which you could take something that you want more of, that you feel like you need, and you could give it first to the kingdom. Because the kingdom work is done in church and on the mission field and at camps. And the kingdom work is done when we support a child across the world that does not have access to education or healthy food without it. Or do you cling to the little money that you have because you're worried about it? Which would be a sign of mixed allegiances. 
Or perhaps you're someone and you're not too worried about money, but social anxiety is a big deal for you. Here's the test with your time. If you deal with social anxiety, do you serve other people? Do you volunteer at church? Do you give away your time to those in need? Do you put yourself sometimes in uncomfortable and for what you might feel like a stretching or compromising situation in order to serve those around you? Because all of that would be a way in which you can use even this thing you're afraid of to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But of course, if we were to have mixed allegiances, we would keep our time closely to ourselves. And it would be to put ourselves in comfortable situations uh, to, to serve and fulfill our own selves. And again, especially if you're an introvert, that's always going to be a challenge or a temptation, but that's a result of mixed allegiances. If you are dealing with social anxiety, do you go out there and serve other people? Or perhaps, like I've admitted already many times, you have struggles being worried or fearful about your health. And if you are a fearful person about personal health or the health of those around you, the question becomes this, who owns your body? Who's in charge? Who owns your body? Do you remember that your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you realize that body, body, body autonomy is not a scriptural idea, that, that what we have now is actually God's? That this holy presence of God dwells and abides within us? And so that everything that you do to maintain your health should be an act of worship and not an act of self-preservation. I'm preaching to myself. Everything that I do to maintain my health should be an act of worship, not an act of self-preservation. And if it becomes solely self-preservation of feeling good and looking good and wanting to survive, then that's a product of mixed allegiances in my life, in your life, in our lives together. Because let the record show that we can't lean solely on the medical system to keep us alive. I mean, as long as the ER is open, I guess maybe we'd have a better chance, right? <laughs> Getting harder and harder to trust these days. Our allegiances are tied to our fears. But our fears are merely a symptom. Kingdom allegiances are getting to the root cause of fear in our life. So if we will rewind back to the beginning of our sermon series, we establish that we need to look fear in the eye. We need to, to learn from them because our fears will reveal what we love and what we trust. And now we can take it a step further. What we love and what we trust reveals where our allegiances lie. Do we have a single-minded pursuit on the kingdom of heaven? Or do we have these mixed allegiances with one foot in one world and one foot in the other? In order to properly deal with the root cause of fear in our life, we must begin with pledging allegiance to the kingdom of God solely and completely and without reservation. And church, until we do this, we will never be free of fear. We have to pledge allegiance. But how good is it? How wonderful is it that the kingdom of God has this king, this king above all kings, and a king who offers peace between the pillars of his goodness and the control. We have a king who gives us grace for today and every other day that we wake up and rely on him. We have a king that promises to care for, giving us what we need in this life each and every day. Now that is a king that I have no problem pledging allegiance to. But there is one more element to this promise before we conclude this morning. 
God says, yes, I see everyone who does not know the Heavenly Father pursuing, striving for the things of this world, but my followers should be different. You should seek first the kingdom of God and then do, find and do the will of God. And, and, then, and then there's something else. What happens? And then all these things will be added to you. You see, the allegiances are competing. Things of this world and things of God. But the promise of God is not to have only one or only the other. The promise of God is that when you seek after his kingdom, when you find and do the will of God, he will add everything we need in this world as well. This promise is a both and. We have a a wonderful story in the Old Testament that speaks to this idea or this character of God. And that's the story of King Solomon. You can find it in 1 Kings. I'm going to be reading from 1 Kings 3.13. King Solomon had a a daunting task. He was the one who was to take over the kingship from King David. (laughs) Those would be some pretty big shoes to fill. I mean, I feel it here. I have to take over for Pastor Earl, and that's already daunting enough, right? And so now all of a sudden you have to take over for King David? I mean, good luck, right? There's a young king, King Solomon. God comes to him, and he gives him this this, uh, offer, which seems too good to be true. He says, you can ask for any one thing, and I'll give it to you. And so King Solomon had the opportunity to seek the things of this world or he could seek the kingdom of God. And he chose to seek the things of God and he asked for wisdom. He asked for the ability to to know and to do the will of God. He asked to be a good king and to draw other people closer to God. And then God showed that he has a generous spirit. And he says, because you've asked for this thing, I will also add other things to you. Again, 1 Kings 3.13, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Church, this has always been part of the character of God. He has always called people to show their allegiance to him, to seek things that are of him, and that he is always taking great delight in adding those other things that we need and some of them that we want along the way. For, uh, for, uh, for Solomon, it was wisdom that he asked for and wealth that he was blessed with. For us today, it is doing, finding and doing the will of God that we are called to and the necessities of life that we are gifted because we have a king, we have a father that cares for us each deeply. So as the music team comes back up for our final song, I want to remind us where we've been. We learn to look fear in the eye because we need to know that fear reveals what we love and what we trust. But we also established today that what we love and what we trust now reveals our true allegiance. And in order to have victory over fear, we must pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God. And that means trusting God to care for and supply us with everything that we need. But actively, day in and day out, as you leave here and as you go about your life, it means that we are called to strive after the will of God and to live it out daily. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the hands and feet of that prayer. That is the call of God in our life. And when our allegiance is firmly given to Christ, our fears in the kingdom of earth will begin to fade into the background. And then we will have dealt with some of the root cause and live in victory. Let's pray together one more time. Holy Father, you are the King of kings. You are the name above all names. You are worthy of our honor. You are worthy of our our worship and our praise. You are worthy of our allegiance. So God, I pledge allegiance to you. You are my king. I pledge allegiance to your kingdom. 
It has my attention, my focus, my priority. It has my pursuit. God, may this be the prayer of all of us hearing these words this morning. God, may we live in a way that looks for and carries out your will, that we can truly live in your righteousness. And God, I pray that we would then live in the truth of your promise, that you will deliver what we need, both emotionally, physically, and spiritually, come what may. God, I pray that with this allegiance in hand, we would be people free from fear. Amen.